Welcome to On the Record with Tiffany. There are heroes throughout San Antonio, men and women that go the extra mile to make lives better. During the next hour, you'll be inspired as we introduce you to these unsung heroes. And now here's your host, Tiffany Jones-Smith. And you're listening to On the Record with Tiffany. And today I have my special guest, Bear County District Attorney Joe Gonzalez. How are you today, Joe? Hello, I'm doing great, Tiffany. Thank you for inviting me. I'm excited to be here. I'm happy to have you here, even under these circumstances with us having lost John Lewis. Uh, he was such an icon in the civil rights movement, but he was he was someone who who touched all of our lives in the most significant way because uh, I wouldn't be sitting here were it not for John Lewis if he wouldn't have, have uh, led the charge along with Martin Luther King Jr. in civil rights and in, in getting uh, black people, brown people, women, uh, the right to uh, jobs uh, and equality in this nation. Absolutely. You know, I grew up uh, in the late 60s and went to college in the 70s, and I certainly remember uh, the civil rights movement, uh, and it was uh, it had quite an impact on me when I went to college. Yeah, right before uh, – so you went to college right as all of that was, was going on. So what was it like for you hearing and seeing that news footage and – and the movement as it was occurring around you, what was that like on your campus? And well, again, I, I mean, I was in, in grade school in the late 60s. I had started college in, in the uh, mid-70s. But by then, uh, it certainly was uh, in the, the stream of, of culture, and, and everyone was aware of the importance of the civil rights movement. We all were aware that it was something that was uh, important uh, for us to be aware of. And I was a um, political science major, so it was uh, very uh, poignant with me because we certainly had uh, many discussions. I, w- I went to college here at S- in San Antonio at St. Mary's, mm-hmm. uh, and there were a lot of uh, progressive thinkers back then. A lot of my professors and mentors uh, were very uh, sensitive t- uh, to the civil rights movement. So progressive thinkers in a red state. Yeah. What was that like <laughs> at St. Mary's? I mean, in the 70s, St. Mary's in the 70s. <laughs> like, well, you know, we, we weren't always a red state. I mean, I think a lot of uh, historically uh, we uh, were a blue state for uh, a very long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, um, I, you know, we then turned purple and then ultimately red, as you say. Mm-hmm. But I think... Um, uh, people have always been aware of the civil rights movement. Uh, people have always been aware of the contributions of pe- mm-hmm. people like Martin Luther King and, and certainly John Lewis and, and mm-hmm. other leaders, Andrew Young, other leaders mm-hmm. uh, in the black community, just like we've had leaders in the Hispanic com- uh, uh, community, Cesar Chavez and individuals yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. And, and I the Hispanic community is a wonderful one and in combination with the black community here because San Antonio did so much uh, in terms of uh, civil rights and just kind of working together. Um, One of the leaders in civil rights in San Antonio was uh, Henry Cisneros. Like he was one of the first people uh, in that uh, Martin Luther King Jr. March. We have the largest one in the country, and Henry is part of the reason why. You know, like that's one of the things I love about San Antonio is that we work together. It's a, a city where the reason why we're a majority minority city is because we know how to work together. It's not about one side or the other. I mean, I, I definitely see some heated debates. <laughs> you know, we will have a heated debate, but here in San Antonio, uh, unlike a lot of other parts of the country, we have maintained the ability to agree to disagree and to to come to a good um, a good road for all of our people. Something that's going to work for everybody. 
as opposed to just digging in. You know, we, we tend to try to work together. And you can see that in our history uh, over, over time. You know, when I think about people like John Lewis and just seeing this weekend when uh, uh, he was carried across the bridge, uh, you know, the very bridge that he was, he was beaten on, I, I just thought, wow. Like, look, how, look, look, I mean, we have a long way to go. There's no, no doubt about that. But we've come, come a long way, too. Absolutely. And I think it is important that, that we remind the younger generations uh, of our history and, mm-hmm. and how, how far we've come mm-hmm. from those uh, years in the 50s and 60s. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, are we there yet? Of course not. We see that every day when we turn on the television. Mm-hmm. We, even today we see um, systemic racism in, in different facets of our life and mm-hmm. just about any industry in, in business and education, certainly in law right. enforcement and the courts. But as you say, we need to work together. We need to be able to come to the table. Uh, and as you say, we can always agree to disagree, but it's so important to be able to to engage in a dialogue and do it peacefully mm-hmm. uh, because I think that's progress, right? Instead of threatening each other, let's come to the table and, and let's let's talk about each other's perspective and each other's mm-hmm. viewpoint and see if we can find some middle ground. So you're absolutely right about that. And that was that was John Lewis's entire that was how he spent his entire career is he studied Gandhi and that's where the peaceful protests came from is is their study of Gandhi and that meant that they decided okay if if i'm hit what am i going to do mm-hmm. what is what is my reaction going to be if i'm uh if hoses are turned on us what is the reaction going to be we must still stand and even if we fall you don't hit back because the point in this is not violence, because we know violence begets violence. The point in it is to change the hearts of men. This was a moral and spiritual journey, not a political one. It had nothing to do with red or blue. It had everything to do with moral compass, with who we who we are as a people and wanting your fellow man to see you the the in, inside of you who you are inside because that's what changes humans not laws not <laughs> we can put laws in place and we certainly will but it's it is in those poignant moments like that that human beings are changed. And one of the greatest ones I think with John Lewis was when he was beaten, it was, I I believe it was like March 5th. Wasn't it like March 5th or March 7th? Um, 1965, he was, he was beaten by a white trooper. And years later, that trooper came back and asked for his forgiveness. And John Lewis gave him forgiveness. And, a friendship mm-hmm. thereafter. And that is what really the microcosm of all of this was. It was that the hardest of hearts can be softened by something as important as a moral stance and maintaining your moral stance. That's that's what they were doing. And I, I you know, sometimes when I'm listening to, to what's happening, I think we need to remember that perspective. That's the historical fact and the importance in in us as humans that has to be realized in any movement where there's a change that's to occur. It has to be a moral and a and a spiritual change. Like it's the spirit of this very nation that we love so much. He he epitomized that, you know, and I, I'm I'm very thankful that he he lived, and that he pushed that idea forward because it's one that even today resonates with us. 
you know. That's true. And, you know, some of the, the uh, most difficult scenes to watch is when you see videos of, of uh, Mr. Lewis being beaten uh, mm-hmm. and, and him not fighting, fighting back. Uh, it's, it's, it's difficult to see. That's but right. because it is, uh, you know, our human nature is to react. And if somebody punches, you punch back. Mm-hmm. It's, it's more difficult to restrain <coughs> yourself. That's right. It's more difficult to sit on your hand or, or even better, extend your hand, extend right. the olive branch. Uh, so and that was very moving. That's what that was all about, and it was that. That was the very thing that moved her soul as a human being. Looking at that, because you realize how committed those those freedom riders were, and you realized how important it was for us to recognize the humanity in our fellow man. And the the simple desire to have the same things that the majority had at the time, and that was freedom for their kids, freedom, freedom for uh, freedom to be to have lunch where they wanted to have lunch. I mean, John Lewis's life brought so much to all of the rest of our lives because now I get to enjoy those freedoms. You enjoy those freedoms. Our children can enjoy those freedoms together. <laughs> you know, and that's what this country is all about. That's what it's always been all about. And I want my listeners to come on back and listen to our wonderful district attorney, Joe Gonzalez, because you're going to learn a lot about him. This guy is more than just a suit and a great looking uniform. So come on back and listen to On the Record with Tiffany. I'm Tiffany Smith, Chief Executive Officer of the Texas Kidney Foundation, and I'm here to talk to you about your kidney health. Health is the most important asset we possess. COVID-19 has exposed the unhealthy nature of our population. One in three Americans are at risk for chronic kidney disease. In absolute numbers, that translates into about 600,000 San Antonians. Have you been diagnosed with diabetes? Have you been diagnosed with hypertension? Do you take blood pressure medicine? Do you have heart disease? Have you experienced heart failure? Do you have a history of dialysis or kidney failure in your family? If you said yes to two or more of those questions, you need to come and see us. Are you a part of that one in three? Is your sister, is your brother, is your mother? Texas Kidney Foundation offers free screenings. All you have to do is go to our website, www.txkidney.org. Check out our free screenings. You can either come to our office for an in-office visit, or we can come to you. You can schedule a screening or go to a screening near you. And we're back with On the Record with Tiffany and my special guest, District Attorney Joe Gonzalez. Okay, Mr. Gonzalez, now you're on the hot seat. So I want to know about you. Tell me what it was that drew you to public service. Well, uh, first let me tell you, I'm a native San Antonian. I was born and raised here, and uh, except for for three years of of my life when uh, we lived in Houston while my wife went to law school in the mid-'90s, I've spent – all of my life here in San Antonio. I grew up on the on the um, west side of San Antonio, um, uh, right across the street from Kennedy High School for most of my uh, growing up years. Uh, and, uh, you know, I would say we were probably considered a lower middle come or middle class uh, until my, my mother, and she raised us by herself. We're basically the products of a, a single family household. She raised... Uh, three boys, um, wow. and uh, actually four boys. Uh, and, um, you know, for, I remember even today, I mean, there were, there were times when I remember, uh, struggling to make ends meet. I remember, um, 
uh, hearing some of my classmates go uh, talk about their vacations. Uh, go to uh, back then it was uh, Astro World or, or mm-hmm. Six Flags in Dallas, and the boat the most we could afford is Playland uh, down on Broadway. Uh, I you know we were part of the free lunch program, and I remember feeling ashamed having to put my lunch uh, card back in my uh, pocket for for fear that the other kids would tease me. And so I think that that experience has brought a sense of empathy to me in this in this job. Uh, I went to um, I basically uh, educated myself because I'm first generation uh, college educated. My mother didn't even graduate from uh, high school because her her parents were migrant workers. Uh, and so I had to kind of figure out how to apply for college um uh, you know, grants and loans and, and put myself through my, through law school. Both my wife and I went to law school on our own. Uh, again, uh, that gave me a sense of, um, uh, purpose. Mm-hmm. But one of the things I learned is that, uh, life is not all about, uh, money, about having the, the, mm-hmm. the fanciest cars and, and the fanciest homes, but what, what you can give back to the community. Uh, part of that, I think, is my, uh, again, my education that I received at St. Mary's. I was a, a, a political science major and very involved with, with back then the Democratic pro- uh, Party even uh, and uh, and did show up to rallies that had people like Henry B. and Henry Cisneros and other people running for office. So that motivated me. At some point, I knew I wanted to enter public service, but uh, went on, uh, became uh, a prosecutor. Uh, uh, and worked under two or three different administrations. But even as a young prosecutor, what I learned was that uh, that you have to be fair in the administration of justice and that not everybody, when you're dealing with someone that has committed a crime, not everybody deserves to uh, or needs to go to prison. Not everybody needs to have the, the book thrown at them, that you ought to really temper uh, justice with mercy. And so that's what I learned early on. Uh, I, I became a defense lawyer, um, and for 22 of my 31 years uh, in practice, I was a defense lawyer representing people that were accused of crime. Uh, and I certainly saw my share of what I thought was systemic racism on the part of prosecutors, on the part of judges. Um, and so uh, that's one of the things I vowed to do is to be fair in the way that we handled our cases uh, you know, decisions on on when and how to prosecute ought to be based on the facts, uh, and and not on a person's uh, as as cliche as it sounds, not on the the color of their skin, but but on the conduct that they that they engaged in. And so that's one of the things that I've tried to bring to this office. Another thing that I've learned over the years is is uh, that you ought to be smart. Uh, on crime, not so much tough on crime, but smart. Are you really doing the best you can by, again, always seeking the toughest punishment? One of the things I learned uh, as I was running for DA is we ha- we only have a lim- limited budget. We only have a limited number of prosecutors. So what I want to focus on are the things that I say all the time, keep us up at night, uh, those people that commit violent crimes like murder, yeah. sexual assault, aggravated robbery, those people that prey on our elderly, on our children, and our women. Mm-hmm. And so that's what we've done. We've prioritized our office to uh, to beef up those those priorities. Um, one of the one of those areas is domestic violence. Mm-hmm. I'm proud to say that what we did is we restructured the family violence. Uh, division in the DA's office. When we came in, we increased the number of prosecutors in that office. And uh, I'm happy to say that I think we're doing a good job until this pandemic hit. Uh, We were going to court every day fighting for the victims of domestic violence. We're still doing it, but obviously we're limited. We have to do it through Zoom hearings and we have to do it in a limited capacity uh, since we're not going to court every day, but that's still a priority with us. One of the things that I hope to talk you to you guys have done something, some really great stuff with with uh, domestic violence. Because I went to a women's conference here, and we were talking about what you've done in in that area because you've not only assisted uh, 
the the offenders, mm-hmm. but also the women and and in rehabilitating both sides. So it, it's it's really been phenomenal what you've done there because it's not just a your your idea um, that you've put into action uh, of not just throwing the book at people, but how are we going to uh, get these people back when they come back into society? What are they going to be like? Mm-hmm. You all have taken a, a a really active role in making sure that that our society is better by getting getting these people the help that they need. Sure. And and part of obviously our mission is is to advocate for victims of crime. What we're mm-hmm. trying to do obviously is make sure that we bring uh, justice to those victims right. that have been uh, uh assaulted that have been um the victims of crime, but we also need to look at the bigger picture to find out what the the, the source of the problem is. Mm-hmm. If if you have a domestic violence situation and the perpetrator continues to to bat her uh, his or her spouse, is it because he's got an alcohol problem? He's got a drug abuse problem? Mm-hmm. Is it because of some other uh, uh, issue? Um, and so, what we're doing in our office is trying to to uh, provide um, resources whenever possible. Uh, that's the that's the motivation in these pretrial diversion programs. Is mm-hmm. is can we offer them some resources to deal with their substance abuse issues or maybe anger management or some other issue, so that uh, they just don't don't uh, return to the system because it doesn't do any anyone any good to have a revolving door mm-hmm. and have that person be arrested spend three, four, five months in jail, can get back out and do the whole, the same, same thing, thing all again. over again. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yes, those are uh, some uh, goals that we have in mind is is, mm-hmm. is treat the offender when we can. Uh, and sometimes, uh, certainly, uh, you have to you have to deal with the individual who is a repeat offender, who is not going to learn from opportunities to divert his behavior, and those are the ones that perhaps need some incarceration. But we certainly want to be uh, or, uh, amenable to giving those people the opportunity uh, to va- avail themselves of um, not returning to the criminal justice system. Because uh, for a lot of people, you don't know what you don't know. So when when there's a, an opportunity like what you all have created for uh each side of, of of this, the the victim and for uh, for the perpetrator, um, you you are going to have people that that will take advantage of of the opportunity that you're giving them to change their lives, mm-hmm. you know. And if and if we can do that, then uh, we want to because often you find that that people who are committing crimes it's because they don't know anything other than that they've been raised in an abusive situation they so you know it was normal for them to to see that behavior as being okay Mm -hmm. so you all come in and show them that there's another way that there it's it's a legitimate other way to live their lives and for that we all should be very thankful that you've you've put together a system like this because uh, just throwing people back in in jail with no possibility of of becoming a better person mm-hmm. is is useless to the rest of us. So, well, we have to we have to take a little break, go and uh, pay some bills, and talk about some good things like kidney disease that people need to pay attention to. <laughs> um, and uh, But I want you to come back and listen to our district attorney, Joe Gonzalez, because he's going to tell us a little bit more about what makes him tick and what's going on with our wonderful city. So come back, listen to On the Record with Tiffany, and we will see you in just a moment. I'm Tiffany Smith, Chief Executive Officer of the Texas Kidney Foundation, and I'm here to talk to you about your kidney health. 
Health is the most important asset we possess. COVID-19 has exposed the unhealthy nature of our population. One in three Americans are at risk for chronic kidney disease. In absolute numbers, that translates into about 600,000 San Antonians. Have you been diagnosed with diabetes? Have you been diagnosed with hypertension? Do you take blood pressure medicine? Do you have heart disease? Have you experienced heart failure? Do you have a history of dialysis or kidney failure in your family? If you said yes to two or more of those questions, you need to come and see us. Are you a part of that one in three? Is your sister? Is your brother? Is your mother? Texas Kidney Foundation offers free screenings. All you have to do is go to our website, www.txkidney.org. Check out our free screenings. You can either come to our office for an in-office visit, or we can come to you. You can schedule a screening or go to a screening near you. And you are listening to On the Record with Tiffany, and I have our Bear County District Attorney, Joe Gonzalez, with me. How are you doing, Mr. Gonzalez? I'm doing very well. Thank you very much uh, for inviting me. I'm having a great time. I told you it wasn't going to be that bad. <laughs> so next, I want—I just want to talk to you a little bit about the difference between you at the district attorney's office and law enforcement, because a lot of people seem to just intertwine the two. They think it's the same thing. So is it the same thing? No, it's not. And and uh, that's a, actually a very good question because a lot of people will clump us together. They're two different agencies. The best way I can describe it uh, to those uh, who have had the opportunity to see a show called Law & Order, at the very beginning, <laughs> there's a segment where they... Now, you're not iced tea, are you? No, 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 no. no. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all, but um, but I do watch them a lot because it's one of my favorite shows because it is so accurate um, in its depiction of what we do. Uh, at the beginning, they talk about uh, there are mm-hmm. two different um, uh, agencies. One are the the police that investigate crimes, and then the other part are the prosecutors who prosecute individuals accused of crime. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they're two different agencies. Mm-hmm. One one um, is does not um, is not employed by the other. Uh, for example, here in in, in Bear County, uh, I I don't have any control over what SAPD does or the Bear County Sheriff's Office. They investigate, mm-hmm. they make arrests, then they file the cases with us. Uh, likewise, once they make the uh, decision to to uh, bring a case to us, then we make the call in terms of which cases to prepare, to present to a grand jury. We make the decisions about which cases to prosecute or not. And so they're very different uh, offices, very different agencies. And and I can understand why people would be confused. But um, I say all the time that that we have to keep our uh, a, a very clear line between the two. Um, and one of the re- one of the the topics that I'm talking about um, recently is because everything that has occurred uh, since the the tragic event uh, involving Mr. Floyd um, and the Minnesota Police Department, uh, everyone across the country mm-hmm. is talking about uh, defunding the police or dismantling mm-hmm. the police, and it means different things to different people. And what I've said is. Uh, we we obviously need law enforcement. We need the police. Right. We need to be able to to keep an an ordered society. Because uh, when when my listeners hear that, they hear abolish the police, yeah. and that is not that's just not something that that we even want to to consider. The we need we need law enforcement. Ninety nine percent of law enforcement is is good. They're not. Sure. Doing what what those officers did to to George Floyd, you know, they're as appalled as as uh, the rest of of the country is by what we saw there. Absolutely, as I'm sitting here in your in your beautiful studio, I look <laughs> out and see the the highway. And imagine if everybody that we see on the road decided they wanted to, to travel at speeds of 100 miles an hour or more. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you imagine how that would endanger our lives? Can right. You imagine if nobody wore seatbelts so that when they had accidents, people would be flying out the windows. So we have to have laws uh, in right. an ordered society. 
And we and, have to have people to enforce those laws. Right, exactly. And, and so uh, I do think uh, the first step is to recognize that there is and there has been, again, in uh, areas like law enforcement and the courts, uh, systemic racism. We need to recognize that. But we need to not throw the baby out with the bathwater. Exactly. We need to be able to uh, recognize that we can do better, but we can. We need to work within the system. Mm-hmm. And so one of those uh, ways we can do that is to figure what we can do to um, uh, to identify that and, and then do better. And I, and I say all the time, uh, improving training goes a long way. Really uh, being does. able to educate not only our law enforcement but our prosecutors about a concept called implicit bias, mm-hmm. where you may not recognize that right. that you may uh, uh, possess that kind of bias. Uh, so that that certainly is important. But uh, I do think it's important that we come together, that we work together, and then we recognize that we can do better uh, mm-hmm. in the way that we. Uh, um, do our jobs and in the way that we interact with with one another you know i mean every time i i see this i think gosh we can we can come to a, a middle ground here and, and fix this i know people's hearts are right and they want to fix it uh incendiary comments and and Throwing hand grenades at one another isn't going <laughs> to do that, <laughs> you know. Um, but like you said, that's a, a, exactly what we need. We need a, a way to come together, mm-hmm. you know. And every time I look at our beautiful majority uh, minority city, I know we're, we can be leaders in, in showing that, how that can be done. You're absolutely right. And, you know, uh, again, Tiffany, thank you so much for inviting me to come out here and, and visit with you because one of the things, one of the challenges for me is to be able to to talk out in the community about the things that we've been doing. Uh, even though I've been a lawyer for 30 years, I've only had this job as the elected DA for about a year and a half. Uh, but we've been doing a lot of good work in the DA's office that maybe a lot of people don't, don't uh, hear about. And so that's the challenge for is for me to come out and talk about the things that we've been doing. And this is a rough 18 months for you to have taken <laughs> on the, this job, man. I mean, I'm thankful to you for, for uh, sticking with it and not just throwing it in the towel. <laughs> You've dealt with the pandemic, uh, social uprising, <laughs> all kinds of things going on and still maintained uh maintain the integrity of of the office well thank you for saying that we're, we're trying we're trying to do the right thing uh we're not ever going to make everybody happy and we get that i understand that but but the the best i can hope to accomplish is to be able to talk uh with people like yourselves to be able to talk with the community and explain what we're doing for example i'd like to be able to talk to you uh, for a minute if i could about what I think is our our own version of police reform that we brought to the office, and that is that uh, before, uh, under prior administrations, uh, uh, members of law enforcement might file a case, for example, involving a police uh, an officer involved shooting, uh, mm-hmm. and that elected DA may make a decision for him or herself that it was, for example, a justified shooting, and mm-hmm. and just clear that officer and uh, um, and and be done with it. Well, we don't do that in our office. I decided, again, remember, I spent a long time as a, as a defense lawyer, so I've seen both sides. I, I, you know, I believe in the justice system because of the importance of having a jury, not only a grand jury that reviews uh, probable cause to decide whether or not to indict an individual, but the jury system that decides guilt or innocence. So what I decided early on was that we were going to develop different levels of reviewing these officer-involved shootings. Uh, we have uh, three or four different levels where, where review, uh, we review these kinds of cases. And then in, even in cases where there may be a close call, we take everything to the grand jury. We let the citizens of Bear County decide whether or not uh, the officer committed a crime or whether or not he was justified in using deadly force. So that's one of the things that I'm proudest of is that we're trying to bring transparency to the office. We're trying to let the citizens make the ultimate decisions. And if I understand correctly, you did that 18 months ago. You started that when you 
first uh, took office, when you first uh, took the position, you began to review that uh, well before uh, the the uh, George Floyd uh, uh, murder. That that's correct. We we did that. We established that uh, very early on our administration last year. That's correct. Because we saw that there was a need to do that because, mm-hmm. uh, uh, again, uh, we wanted to make sure we had some transparency. We wanted to make sure we had enough layers of review uh, so that we could explain to the, the victims of crime, those people that were left behind, uh, to deal with uh, the unfortunate circumstance when uh, when there was a shooting involving an officer that we were uh, uh, trying to do the right thing on with regard to those cases. Because you, I think we discussed before that that you really have had a heart for all of all of the victims of of uh, officer involved shootings. That you know maybe there needed to be uh, some some levels of of accountability and just scrutiny when you're looking at at cases like that. Well, that's right, and and that's what we've tried to do. Even on cases that were decided before I got here, we've continued to review them to make sure that the the right decision was made. And I'll always keep an open mind with regard to those cases. And and I thank you for that because, uh, you know, that's our law enforcement and all law enforcement and the levels of of uh, scrutiny that's placed there. Uh, that's important. It's important for every citizen that lives in this city and in the country. So when we have district attorneys who are setting the bar um, and setting the bar high, that's important. We need that, you know, because uh, that probably should have been done 20 years ago. But it took Joe Gonzalez coming in and deciding, you know what, whether this is easy or difficult, I'm going to do it. I know this is a difficult topic, but I'm going to do it anyway. Uh, so I thank you for that because we we need more people who are willing to take on the hard subjects when nobody's looking at them because that was before anybody was was uh, paying attention to this. Um, and it shouldn't take a knee to someone's neck to get us to pay attention to something as important as this. And it didn't for you. You did that before something terrible happened. So thank you for, for caring about our community and all citizens in our community, uh, especially the poor, because we have 140 million poor people in the United States and they're not being seen or heard. So um, you're listening to On the Record with Tiffany and my special guest, our district attorney, Joe Gonzalez. So I just want you to talk to us about what our wonderful district attorney's office is doing to improve the lives of San Antonians. Well, as I mentioned before, obviously our focus is to uh, to keep our uh, citizens safe. You know, we have uh, uh, two million people uh, to worry about. You know, uh, and that's what keeps me up at, at night: is are we doing the right thing to try and keep our our community safe? Uh, so we're we're focusing on on the violent crime that I, I mentioned to you before. We mm-hmm. increased. Uh, our efforts with regard to domestic violence. We're, we've also um, uh, started a, a gang task force uh, to focus on those uh, people, again, that prey on the, the members of our society uh, um, that uh, we need to pay attention to. And uh, so we've uh, identified some individuals who, uh, who I think we need to make sure uh, that their punishments are appropriate. But on the other side of the coin, uh, one of the things that we're bringing to our office is what is called criminal justice reform. Uh, mm-hmm. People are afraid of the term reform. Basically, reform means change, and, and sometimes mm-hmm. change is difficult for people. But again, as I talked about early on in this broadcast, 
what's important is we focus on the more important uh, aspects of our job, which is fighting violent crime. Mm-hmm. What I've learned is a lot of people and a lot of uh, communities spend a lot of time in prosecuting low-level offenders that mm-hmm. that uh, maybe have engaged in uh, in wrong behavior that can be redirected. And so that was the the um, the thought behind a a uh, program that we've now uh, enhanced and improved from the prior administration called Sight and Release. So, if you'll permit me, Tiffany, I'd like to visit with you about what that's all about. Basically, the the concept of Sight and Release is giving the officers on the street the discretion to give uh, someone that they come into contact with, whether it's a motorist or a person on the street a citation instead of arresting that individual. Uh, and that has dual benefit. Number one, it, it, it it's beneficial for the uh, first-time offender of a nonviolent offense uh, to give him an opportunity to redirect his life uh, mm-hmm. and avoid a conviction, for example. But also it helps us as taxpayers because instead of tying up that officer uh, with having to arrest that individual, let's say for a misdemeanor amount of marijuana, he's gonna he's going to spend the majority of his shift uh, arresting that individual, taking him down to the magistrate's mm-hmm. office, where he can be back out on the street patrolling our uh, streets uh, and looking for violent criminals. In addition to that, uh, there is a huge cost benefit in mm-hmm. in, for example, the nine months that we've. Uh, been in operation with our site and release program. Over 2,500 have avoided being arrested and instead have been cited. What that has translated to is a cost of over a million dollars to the taxpayers of Bear County in booking costs. That means because of this program, we have now saved over a million dollars in avoiding having to have those people booked and fingerprinted and processed over at the Bear County Jail. So that's that's something that benefits us all, uh, and that's that's part of what again we're trying to do. Uh, it's a component of what's known as restorative justice. Mm-hmm. Can you restore someone to the situation he was in before he encountered law enforcement and and before he he ends up with a conviction that quite that might uh, have a, a a negative effect on his future? If it's someone who goes to college, uh, they might lose their their financial aid. If it's mm-hmm. someone who has a good job, they might lose that job. I love this concept because they uh, did something like this in Camden, New Jersey. It's a great example of and with some with a lot of data behind it of uh, what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, they did essentially that and and some other things, um, and it really changed. One, how it it wasn't a it wasn't like this concept of defunding the police. This was actually a reallocation of funding, um, and really looking at at how uh, our budgets were being spent. Which is which clearly that tells me that you're thinking about how the budget is being spent and and how we can can best take our resources and actually utilize it utilize those resources best for the community and get the most out of it. So when that officer no longer has to spend the entire shift booking people, but can spend the the rest of the shift doing the work that that we really need the officer to do, uh, yes, it's a million-dollar savings, but it's also like exponentially better for the community because in Camden, when they did the same thing, their high crimes went down by over 90% because they were able to, to actually find out what the community was like, you know, and spend more time actually uh, getting to know their areas. And it just transformed the, the law enforcement system there mm-hmm. totally transformed it right and there are other areas that we're that we're um trying to look at to uh see if we can uh more efficiently run our office for example and uh, this is a topic that that um has frequently come up 
uh, and that's our homeless population. We have mm-hmm. a certain segment of society uh, that live on the streets. Uh, so what happened last year is we had a couple of individuals that were arrested for low-level uh, offenses that, for whatever reason, languished in the Bear County Jail and ended up dying. Uh, oh my gosh. They both had mental health uh, issues that were not being addressed. Mm-hmm. And so uh, that was unacceptable to me. When you, you have someone that's right. sitting in jail for several months, and the only reason that he uh, is in there is because he or she doesn't or didn't have a, a good job, didn't have the ability to, to bond out and ended up, like I said, languishing, being mm-hmm. forgot about uh, until mm-hmm. they ended up passing away. What we determined is that there were just and I don't believe that this is a huge problem, but there were a handful of people that were being arrested because they were either sleeping on a park bench or sleeping at the end of a parking lot of maybe a, a restaurant or a, mm-hmm. a convenience store, something like that. Um, and and so the officers uh, that are being called on this, to the scene had to make a decision. I mean, they're, they're law enforcement. They, they, you know, the, the biggest tool they have is to remove the individual by arresting him. Well, that doesn't really solve the problem. If you've got a right. homeless individual who's got – uh, a drug addiction or an alcohol problem or just basically doesn't have a place to live. What are you solving by arresting that person, having them sit in the, at the jail for, I don't know, two, three weeks. And then uh, he, he, he in, may end up getting time served and be back on the street anyway. What this, this isn't about is, is tying the hands of, of law enforcement and telling them not to make arrests when they're, appropriate when they're righteous. Uh, Anyone can commit crimes, even members uh, of the homeless society. And if they Mm -hmm. commit a crime uh, and the officer makes a decision to arrest that individual, then we will review that uh, case when it comes to the magistrate office. And we have done that. Uh, We have continued to accept cases where uh, someone who may be homeless uh, assaults uh, a citizen or a patron Mm -hmm. of a restaurant uh, they don't have a right to, uh, you know, their 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 rights and and uh, liberties end where they are infringing in your rights. And if mm-hmm. they accost you, they they um, assault you, they do something that threatens you, uh, then that's an appropriate reason to arrest that individual. And and we have prosecuted those individuals. What we're focusing on is uh, just the situation where a member of the homeless population is arrested just to get them off the street or just to get them off of the street corner. Let's, let's see if we can't find a better solution to that. And, and so I'll tell you that we've, we've partnered with law enforcement. We've partnered with other nonprofit agencies, uh, members of the pretrial services uh, department in the County to try and come up with uh, some resources. We're trying to, improve the mental health uh, unit so that they can get the proper screening. So hopefully we'll be able to find uh, solutions uh, to that uh, problem. And it's something that we have to all work on together. You're exactly right. I mean, mental health is probably a large percentage of what you run into. There's probably a good percentage of, of people that you run into who are are really more in need of a mental health resource than they are um, law enforcement. Only the problem is that <laughs> there they are <laughs> in the, you know, and, and they're traversing your path and you have to figure out how to, how to do that. So I, I commend you for trying to do it because it's, it's, that has been a thorn in the side of American society for like, 20 years ever since uh, um, when when we did trickle-down economics, uh, you know, I hate to say this, but this happened during the, the Reagan era. Um, we were supposed to do uh, halfway houses. There was, there was this initiative for that, and we didn't do it. And then um, we're reaping the benefits still. 20 years later, or uh, it's more than 20 years, but I don't want to date myself. <laughs> <laughs> but we're still reaping the benefits of that. So, uh, I've, and I've talked about that like a hundred thousand times because, uh, 
I've always been looking for the person who would go out there and and come up try to come up with a way to bridge this because that's how we've been been fighting it is is through law enforcement and they're not equipped to go and and try to deal with with mental health. I mean, they shouldn't be trying to deal with that. So, uh thank you for for being that bridge between all, because that's a lot trying to get the nonprofits and the and for profit and all of that to work together. So, um Thank you for coming out and and uh, talking to us, especially during this time. We've got a pandemic going and and uh, so much happening in our nation. So I thank you for taking the time out of your schedule to come and, and uh, visit with us. And you can come back as often as you'd like. We'd like to have you back often. <laughs> well, thank you. This, this has been fun. I'm, I'm, I'm uh, honored to be here. Tiffany, thank you for what you do for this community. Thank you for what you do for the citizens of San Antonio. Uh, and um, and I just want the citizens to know that, uh, yes, we're in the middle of this pandemic, but we've continued to work uh, hard at trying to keep our community safe uh, and like I said before, we're trying to do the right thing. So hopefully um, uh, we'll be able to continue our hard work. And we can see that you're doing the right thing. And, and we thank you for being being uh, a person of integrity and for, for doing what and leading a, a group of people that have a lot of integrity and who are doing exactly the right thing for our community and showing a good example for other communities. So thank you again. And you've been listening to On the Record with Tiffany. And I will see you all next week. Have a great week. Stay safe. Wear your mask. Social distance. Wash your hands. And just be good Texans. I know you can do that. You've been enjoying On the Record with Tiffany. We encourage you to share these stories with friends and family. You can listen to other shows by going to 930amtheanswer.com. And join us next week for On the Record with Tiffany on 930am The Answer.